0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. We've got a special episode for you this week. Given all the changes we've seen in employee experience this year, we've asked four of our EX analysts to discuss the impact of the pandemic on employee experience and share how some organizations have updated their practices. To start, we'll hear from James McQuivy, who's been tracking employees' opinions about their organization's responses to the pandemic.
1: One of the things to remember as we talk about 2020 and employee experience is that even though it feels very unique, there's nothing about it that is completely new. In in that employees were already facing a whole variety of challenges and changes due to technology, automation, even the kinds of systemic shocks that we look at which include a pandemic but also we had political shocks we had economic shocks so the kinds of things that we were watching very closely going throughout the pandemic are things that frankly we needed to be watching anyways and and actually companies needed to be paying more attention to to begin with so if there's any good to come out of this the silver lining behind this pandemic cloud is that now more companies are paying as close attention to employee experience as they really should have been all along. And I think that's a very positive thing. Now, when we look at, okay, what does that mean? When they look at their employee experience, what do they see? Well, they see that on average, their people are very concerned about what they're going through, no surprise. Uh, the good news is that throughout the year, as we were surveying from March and April into May and, and our most recent survey, we are able to see that gradually companies responded in a way that increased the confidence that their employees had in the company's ability to, to make it through this, to make good decisions, to make decisions that were designed to take care of the employee and, and care about their health and safety. Those Some of those numbers were below 50% in March and in April, and they all gradually came to around 65 and in some cases 70% so that they had confidence that my, the president, and my company can do this, my direct manager can do this. And that's all very, very good. What we've seen, however, now, as people are settling in for the long run, is that those numbers are starting to settle back down. They're they're still over 50%. They're usually in the 55 to 60% range. And and in our latest survey, we're looking at three countries in particular, the United States, the UK, and Australia. And the numbers we see across those countries are that, you know, on average, people are still generally confident, but the confidence has waned a bit. That makes sense. The issues have gotten more complicated. People are now trying to balance in some of those countries, getting their children back to school, having to deal with the the long-term effect of not having uh, access to their office resources and their business travel and other things that were really fundamental to how they experienced their work. So it's not a surprise that the numbers would settle down. I wouldn't say that, that means that employers have started to make poor decisions as much as the uncertainty factor is increasing. One of the big data points that we have been eager to see come back in our survey is the degree to which people say that they feel like they are, quote, working harder now than they did before. Because, of course, in some companies in particular, you have to be working harder. You're making a lot of adjustments. There was a lot of work that needed to be done to get everyone to work from home and so forth. Well, about 37% of people uh, full-time, part-time employees are saying that they feel like they're working harder than before the pandemic started. That is of great concern. Um, if if you would imagine that a third of workers before this were you know had spare time on their hands, and then suddenly they're working harder, that would be fine. But that's not the case. People felt like they were already working at or close to their limits, and now they feel like they're working harder. So one of the things that we've seen some of our clients do is just pay a lot more attention to that feeling. How are people feeling? You know not just an, an annual employee uh, voice of the employee survey or employee journey tracking survey but actual uh, monthly weekly and in some cases more often than weekly listening exercise and what are you listening for you're listening for whether or not people are satisfied sure you might have a standard battery of employee satisfaction or employee engagement we prefer Uh, metrics that you're using. Um, But one of the things that you really have to ask people is to what extent are they burning out in terms of time, exhaustion, uh, resources, fatigue, because that is actually different from whether they're engaged at work. You can still be engaged at work, excited by the purpose of work, but also feel like you are burning out. Now, the relationship there is if someone is engaged by work and you can identify whether they are burning out before they do burn out and help them not burn out. Well, there you go. you've, You've won an employee for life because they are someone who recognizes that the work they do is challenging and invigorating and exciting and that you're not going to ask them to deplete themselves in order to make it happen. So we actually have uh, a large telecommunications company in the United States. I was just speaking with one of their IT divisions that supports one of their very large operations. And they were pleasantly surprised at how hard everyone was working, how their productivity numbers have gone up. We talked about that a little bit. If you think about it from a telcos perspective, telcos are providing employees with just a really meaningful experience, why? Because those employees are able to help people stay connected to family, stay productive. They're providing you know, broadband access, wireless access. That feels good in the middle of this pandemic, especially because this particular wireless provider was giving people rebates and cost uh, breaks in order to help make through some of the challenges that they were facing. So the you know, employees are feeling good about that. But the reason they came to talk to us was because they knew that there would come a time when people would say, I need a break. And they were trying to do what they can. So one of the things they would do throughout the summer is, you know, declare an occasional Friday as please don't work Friday. You know, it doesn't count against your vacation time. It doesn't count anything. Just please don't work. If you do work, do it do it uh, quietly, you know, in your pajamas at home and uh, try not to send a lot of inter-office email. Uh, cancel any, any team meetings that you might have. Move them to another day. Because they're trying to signal to people we understand that you're giving us 110 percent right now we need to give you that 10 percent back so those kinds of moves are really smart really really thoughtful one of the other things we're watching very closely of course is mental health during the pandemic you know when you're managing through this challenge of 2020 you, you have to manage in the moment and you have to manage for the long term we think good the good news is employee experience helps you do both but uh, in the moment, there are people who are experiencing mental health challenges. Uh, we're seeing about 40% of companies that are saying they're going to permanently invest in making more long-term mental health resources available. That's good. You know, Increase those benefits. Make sure that benefits that you already have are utilized. This is one of the uh, unknown things about mental health benefits is that many companies offer them and then never work very hard to make sure that their employees know that they have a hotline available when they're in a time of stress, that they have resources. So companies are either expanding those resources or making sure that people are aware of the resources they already have or both, and and that's good. Uh, Interestingly, when we survey this, we're seeing about 31% of people agree or strongly agree. That their mental health has suffered because of the pandemic. Now that's a higher number than we want it to be. You know, gratefully it's not half or more, but still. So you you have to be looking very carefully at this. One of our uh, clients who is a healthcare insurance provider. So, you know, healthcare, mental health, this is something they're very aware of. Um, they've made this priority one. They have decided that they're going to take all of their mental health initiatives and make sure that essentially they all double in use over the next year. Uh, they have a large number of these initiatives, but they're all you know voluntary. Hey, if you need any help, come and uh, come and talk to this resource, or come and sign up for this class, or you know consider yoga and those kinds of things. They're still voluntary, of course, but the new effort at this particular company is to routinely not only share what benefits are available, but uh, provide success stories from people in the company, anonymized, of course, saying, you know, I was facing this stress and here's how I handled it with the help of the benefits offered by the company. Now, from the company's perspective, this is a complete win-win. You know, reduce the amount of mental health challenge that's experienced by the employees, uh, increase the general feeling among employees that their peers are being taken care of. If you're not one of the uh, 31% who are experiencing this challenge, but you're the 50% 50% who can see your friends struggling this way, seeing that your company is actively making sure the resources are being made, made available. This is all win, win, win. It's, it's employee experience. Uh, you know, In the future, we'll call this employee experience 101, but right now it's pretty advanced and the companies that are getting ahead of it, they're gonna see a long-term benefit going into 2021.
0: EX analyst David Johnson says that some organizations have been overwhelmed by the EX challenges this year. While others have seen it as an opportunity,
2: you know, these last six months, seven months now, have been some of the busiest of my time here at Forrester. So, you know, there's a lot of change, and that's affecting companies in some pretty profound ways. But, you know, I would say that there's really two kinds of companies <laughs> going through this, right? Those that are saying, "Wow, um, what do we do?" and and so they're they're a little bit concerned, and they don't feel like they're you know, they, they're really well set up for this, and so on. And uh, trying to get their house in order, and then there are others that are saying, "We got to roll with this, right? This is our opportunity to, to push ahead some changes that we've been wanting to make for a long time. So let's do it, right? Let's get behind it and figure out what, how to do this in the best possible way." And so there's either there's either pessimism or optimism, really, is the way I describe it. And you know, one of those companies that stands out for me that's on the optimistic side said, "Look, this is an opportunity for us to get access to people and access to talent." that uh, that we wouldn't have had any other way you know we've had such a bias in our company it was a financial services company in the UK Um, We've had such a bias in our company for so long toward people needing to be in our headquarters or in one of our corporate centers that it's been difficult for us to even consider hiring a candidate from outside because their managers were nervous about it, right? And others in the organization were nervous about whether or not they'd be able to work with somebody that's remote. Well, now everybody's remote and so they feel like it's possible. And so they can start hiring from other places. They want this to be a permanent change. It also means that they're getting some benefits from commercial real estate. You know, they had some commercial real estate that was coming due, and so they could maybe let some of that go. So They're going to have some cost savings as well. So they were seeing this as, as really beneficial in many ways for them. Now, there are some challenges that go with this, um, especially in an organization that's used to having everybody there and used to having everybody in the office. Um, in our employee experience index, one of the things that stands out is we, we studied both engagement and burnout. Right. The factors that most strongly predict each of those on the burnout side is um, is the strongest predictor of burnout is lack of recognition for hard work or accomplishment number 2 was organizational changes that affect them have them feeling down right those are two really big sources and when when i say burnout when those factors are either present right in, alone or even if they stack on top of each other it's even worse this is the kind of thing that can cause somebody to disengage for a very long time right and it's usually kind of quiet they don't it's not like they're saying hey you know i'm i'm upset necessarily they're just not necessarily giving 100% of themselves every day Both of those things get worse when people are remote. It's much harder to see when people are really producing amazing things. They're more likely to be out of sight, out of mind for their manager and for their coworkers, even when they're doing great stuff. So, and same thing with organizational change, because they are out of sight and out of mind in many ways, they also will suffer sometimes during organizational change because they are not seen in the same way and their contributions are not as clearly understood. And so um, one of the things that we're, we're coaching companies to do is to really over rotate on that stuff. Go overboard on recognition. make sure that managers are really calling people out for their contributions and what they do. Uh, and also, you know if you if you're gonna have to undergo some kind of organizational change right now, which many companies are, be really extra cautious and extra sensitive to those people that are working remotely and make sure, that you're thinking clearly about uh, about the contributions that they made and, and how this is going to affect them so those are just two things that really stand out and this is something that you know that particular client really wanted to drill into and really is going to take into account and, and double down on as they go through this new model and, and try to stay with this new model of remote work for the long term another client that stands out is, is one that's based here in the u.s it's a it's a retailer uh, large retail and big box retail client and they're looking at this as an opportunity to focus on experience. Uh, they've been focused on customer experience for a long time, and that's been the key to, to their transformation as a company in competing successfully with some of the online retailers that have been so successful. Um, you know, being a brick-and-mortar retailer, they they saw experience and customer experience as being their their lead their their you know primary success factor for change, and it's been working well for them. And they've extended that to employee experience to say, look, you know, we've got people that are working in our stores, but also people working re- remotely. Now is our chance to really think clearly about what we want that experience to look and feel like and really apply our best design thinking and experience design methodologies around that so that it feels good. And we, become, we, we remain uh, an employer that, that people wanna work for, but also that we're not gonna have a hard time attracting talent in the future because this experience is gonna be good. So that's another company that stands out. One
0: of the biggest challenges organizations faced early on in the pandemic was the dramatic shift to remote work. Analyst Andrew Hewitt has been tracking the response and provides some examples of companies that have taken unique steps to ensure their employees have the technology they need.
3: When we look at our employee experience research, one of the things that is often overlooked but is super important is the role that technology plays in overall experience and engagement for the workforce. Um, From our employee experience index research, we've actually found that 30% of that overall um, employee experience index score is actually driven by technology-related factors. And certainly this pandemic has pushed organizations to really re-examine technology and really rely on technology in ways that they really previously just haven't done before um, you know this move to remote working has really tested people's reliance on cloud infrastructure on VPN on devices and so forth and there's been a couple of really um, you know interesting case studies that I'll get into in just a moment I think overall though, most organizations weren't prepared for this uh, shift to remote work from a technology perspective, and that does impact the overall employee experience. Forty-seven percent of IT decision makers said their infrastructure was prepared to handle a heavy remote employee base. So, while you might think that that is, um, you know, a, a great number overall, you know, not too bad. Uh, you know, almost half of them said they, they were able to deal with this. Only about thirty-four percent of employees say their company does a good job of engaging engaging. engaging remotely located employees. So there's a mismatch between the technology that IT decision makers are giving out to employees and the actual experience that those employees are having with those technologies. Um, So by and large, um, I think we've managed throughout this pandemic, um, but I think we could do a lot better. And there were a couple of really great examples of companies that have really been focusing on the technology experience as a component of that broader engagement as part of this shift to remote work um, and keeping people engaged throughout all of this difficult um, year. The first example that I'll speak to really goes to a major trend that we're seeing in the market today, which is around um, not just monitoring the technology experience, but actively managing it as a product. And really treating it as something that you are going to sell to your internal customers, your employees, and really taking a product centric mindset to how you deliver that. So uh, the great example I think that will illustrate this is there's a large bank based in the Netherlands, um, and they have what they call their operational business intelligence team, which essentially is their technology experience team. Um, And they're charged with really um, delivering an exceptional technology experience to employees. Um, They have... A, an entire queue of different features and so forth that they're looking to prioritize for employees. They collect quantitative data, they collect qualitative data about the user experience. And this overall strategy has really bared some fruit for them over the past um, you know, six to nine months. Um, you know, some simple things through some of their tooling that they're used for technology experience management, they're actually able to see in real time who's using VPN. Um, and for what applications and when and um, for how long. Um, and actually, you know, if you're familiar at all with VPN technology, you know that it, it can introduce some latency into the user experience where things can get unnecessarily slow, um, particularly if people are using VPN for applications that they don't necessarily need to use VPN. Um, they might be cloud-based applications. So this team was actually able to look into when employees were using VPN and actually reach out to them um, you know, via a, a survey technique and tell them to um, you know, turn off the VPN for those specific applications. So they improve the user experience and latency there by having that conversation with the employee. But it goes beyond just sort of the basics of that too. Um, I mentioned the surveying capability that they have in-house. This is different from your traditional email-based survey Um, or application-based survey that you might see out there, what this team was actually doing is sending pulse notifications to the actual employee device. So imagine you get um, a little pop-up that comes up at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, and it will tell you things like, uh, it looks like your computer is having um, Wi-Fi issues, or it's having issues with specific elements of the device that are eventually going to end up crashing the device. Um, And they found that um, they were able to use this technology to notify employees of potential changes that might occur in the IT environment, but also collect two-way feedback from those employees. So previously, they were getting about 2% response rate on email-based surveys. Um, But with this tooling, where they could actually go directly onto the device, they were getting about 35 40%. So it might sound like a large number, but that's a huge increase over the 2% number. so they were using it a lot to address some of the technology-related issues. But the really interesting thing about this use case is that HR started to get a, a, a hold on what this team was doing, and they started using that survey capability to do questions related to health and safety during COVID. You know, asking people you know about their well-being and so forth. Um, and the technology team was actually going back and sharing that information with the HR team. So it's a really great example of one how you can use data to actually look at how do i improve the user experience how i can start to gather qualitative information um, in a much more consistent fashion and how technology leaders themselves can start using this um, you know, capabilities that they have to start working with other groups in the organization. So in this case, the technology team is actively playing a role in the broader employee experience issues that they were going with. So that's my first example around kind of technology experience management. There have definitely been some other examples as well. Um, The second one that I'll mention here is, you know, for a lot of the IT folks that might be listening to this is, you know, a real change in terms of how do I deliver technology to employees? So if you think about the old process of delivering, let's say, a laptop to an employee, what you would basically do is you would get a contract with a large OEM provider. They would send you a blank device. You'd bring that into your, uh, into your office as an IT person. You would configure it, set it up, get all the right apps and all the security policies and so forth um, set up on that. Um, and then you would go deliver a sort of a white glove service to the employee. Now, there were a couple of examples of customers who had taken a fundamentally different path where instead of doing that provisioning configuration of those devices, in their actual Home Depot, they're actually going and putting that in an OEM factory. So one insurance company that, um, you know, is a Forrester client, is actually part of uh, HP's Devices as a service program. Um, and what that enables them to do is allow HP to do all the configuration and setup of those devices and then just ship them directly out um, to the employees that are working in a remote environment. The employee gets that PC, all they do is enter in their uh, credentials, um, to access Microsoft services. Um, in this case, that was the productivity suite they were using. And all of a sudden, that device will just start configuring itself, um, and the employee can get working right away. So you completely remove that middleman and get people um, up and working much faster. A large energy producer in the UK also did something similar. In this case, it was a it was a partnership with Dell. Um, and they created this self-service catalog that would have Various different devices available for employee choice. So, you know, if I wanted to have a, a two in one based device um, that was, you know, a tablet that could switch into a PC mode, I could have that. If I wanted to have a, a bigger device with a more processing power, I could get that as well. So they're actually giving people choice within the self service catalog. And then when people ordered within that catalog, that would send out the order to Dell. Dell would configure the entire device, send it directly to their home. Again, really speeding up that process of getting configured with that device. So really good examples of how people are using um, you know modern management techniques for devices and, and frankly automation to deliver a better, faster experience for the employee, especially when they're in this remote setting. So I'd expect to see much more emphasis on using automation, using the cloud and using third party partnerships to deliver technology uh, in the future. I think people are becoming a lot more comfortable with that mode of interacting with their with their partners. So, those are the two that I had in mind.
0: But it hasn't just been companies that have adapted their employee experiences this year. Analyst Judy Weeder provides some examples of EX innovation from the government sector.
4: Government agencies absolutely have been adapting due to COVID. They like the private sector firms, they haven't had any kind of a choice in the matter. They've had to shift and we've seen a bunch of different ways that they've been approaching it. So I have a few examples that I wanna share. The first example is actually one from the US federal government. Um, they're, for the longest time, the only way that you could onboard employees and have them go through really the entire hiring process, all the way up through taking say an oath of office, was requiring them to be in person. So much of that could have maybe started electronically where you're submitting an application online, but a lot of it is face-to-face communications, printing things out, signing them with wet ink signatures and, and being in person. Can't really do that in the era of COVID. So they've actually been able to shift a lot of that stuff electronically and they were able to do it rather quickly, which not only enabled them to be able to bring on these employees in a reasonable amount of time, but actually shorten up the overall process and still keep hiring going during a pandemic, which seems almost impossible to think that you could do all of these processes online. But a lot of what has held government back has primarily been that government, and really we've seen this in the private sector too, had rules in place where people said, but this is the way it's always been. And now we have something that has required us to change that thinking. So going through that entire process has really shifted their approach. What we've also seen, if we take that down to, say, a state level, also in the U.S., the state of Colorado's IT department realized that they didn't have enough technology to be able to support their employees when they needed to send them home. So, they went and procured a whole bunch of laptops. They had about 2,000 employees that weren't really set up to work from home full time that now suddenly needed to. So, they had to go buy laptops for them at a time when the supply chain was incredibly constrained. And on top of that, someone had the bright idea that giving people laptops wasn't enough because they were going to need access to secure systems. So, in addition to spending all of that money on laptops, they also spent money to improve their VPN capacity so that their employees could actually, legitimately work from home. And in their case, it was actually tripling their VPN capacity. And then another example, also at the national level, we have um, the Italian National Institute of Statistics. This is an organization that is tracking uh, the coronavirus in Italy. And they were able to move 1,500 of their employees from the office to the home in just a few hours. So there are a couple of reasons that they were able to do this, because it's kind of an amazing concept that you can just say, just go home, everything's fine. One is that they already had longstanding work-from-home policies. So they had a way for people to be able to work from home, and they already had the policies and the procedures in place. So there was a lot of employee familiarity with that. The other was that they had a robust business continuity plan. And many people who are in uh, customer experience and employee experience who haven't spent enough time talking with their business continuity folks really need to, because your employee experience, your customer experience is heavily disrupted when some form of major event, including a pandemic, takes place. And so the question is, how are you going to handle it? If you already have a plan, you know how to handle it. You simply go to your playbook. So these three examples are all cases of being able to shift. The first one we're really thinking more about, can you reconsider the previously held beliefs and the ideas about what is allowable and what is good enough to be able to get a job done? The second one is more about trying to find a way to enable and facilitate people to be able to do their work, but thinking broader than just the, the most straightforward thing, because that VPN piece would have been a critical miss if they had 2000 people suddenly hammering their systems and they couldn't get in, then no work was gonna be able to get done. And then the third example is about making sure that you already have all that infrastructure in place. Not necessarily all of the technical pieces need to be there, in their case, they had it, but also having the plan in place for how you're gonna approach it so that when disaster strikes, you're able to deal with it. And I mean, we've seen this in in other cases, there's a major chemical manufacturing firm that's um, global in nature. And when they found that one of their plants was hit by this massive flood, they were able to deal with it using the hurricane response section of their business continuity plan that's typically used in a whole other part of the world. So, you know, there, there are ways that you can take what you already have and apply it and really reshape your thinking. So
0: despite the challenges thrown at leaders and EX professionals this year, it's great to hear about so many organizations that are adapting and even thriving during the crisis. Thank you, James, David, Andrew, and Judy for their input on this episode. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.